Hi there, local citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around manifesting a new world. I'm your host, Florence Sidhu, and I feel like a local citizen today. I've just landed straight from the airport to meet my guest for today. I won't talk about where I went just yet because I will have some guests that will be coming from that place. So I'm leaving some surprise and suspense for you listeners out there. My guest today is from, it's so interesting because I'm looking at her bright, sunny windows and I'm looking out at the, uh, the growing moon in the sky. So, so we're really taking a whirlwind trip around the globe today. So my next guest is an author, speaker, TV host, and certified 500-hour Manasa yoga instructor with over 20 years of teaching experience in the field of yoga. She's based in Malaysia, and she's the founder of the Mat and Beyond Yoga Studio in Punchong, Selangor. I think I said that right. I hope Puchong Selangor. Her book on yoga, Yoga Shakti, Awaken Your Power, was published in May of 2018. And she's been a writer for more than 20 years, editing newspapers locally and in the region where she's from Malaysia. And she also hosts the weekly show Yoga Shakti on Anand TV, based in the UK, with audiences in Europe, North America, and New Zealand. Shayla Jamenan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for that, Florence. And I'm very happy to have this opportunity to talk to you and your wonderful audience. Wonderful. So let's get started. Let's talk about where you're from, where you're local, and what is your craft? Okay, so when you go back to my ancestors, they're actually from a state in South India called Kerala, and our mother tongue is a language called Malayalam. And uh, I grew up, though, in a neighboring state called Tamil Nadu and in a city called Coimbatore. So basically, uh, I am local both in India, where I grew up, and uh, I go back to very frequently. And now for the last uh, 25 years, I have been living in Malaysia. So definitely my home is here as well. And my yoga studio is here. My kids grew up here. So I'm local in Malaysia as well. So I think I have two homes now, both in India and in Malaysia. And as for my craft, uh, what I do is teach, speak and write about yoga on a very uh, regular basis. And that's what I've been doing over the last 20 years or so. I started actually when my older son was born and he was only six months old. And uh, I think today he's uh, 23 years old. So it's been, yeah, it's been a long journey. But uh, more than anything else, I really got into yoga for my own self. It wasn't about teaching or it wasn't about writing. It was really for my own sanity, so to say. Yeah. yeah, And then when I found it so powerful, I was so interested in it. And it was almost a kind of, you know, answers to all these questions that I have been uh, seeking for so long, ever since my childhood. And mm-hmm. when I found that, I kind of dived into it, became a teacher, you know, shared it with my students. And it was so powerful because uh, so many of my students would come back to me about how the practice had shaped their lives and, you know, all of that uh, helped me to continue on. And then I started, you know, I've been a writer as well for even before I went into yoga. So at some point, both of them just came together and I started writing and then the speaking happened along the way. So how did you end up living, working and playing in Malaysia? 
Yeah. So I moved to Malaysia actually after I got married. And my husband is based in Malaysia. So I moved to Malaysia. Yeah. That's how okay. I came to be here. Okay. Yeah. So by marriage. Yeah. Your, your, your children are Malaysian by marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so you moved to Malaysia and you split your time between the two places. And you just to find your sanity, you start, you decided, okay, I need you. But why did you turn to yoga um, as opposed to any other kind of practice? Like what particularly about yoga opened the door for you? Well, um, I guess when you grow up in India, you can't escape yoga. So yoga is yeah. always, whether you do it or not, yoga is part of your vocabulary. Uh-huh. And I have been dabbling with yoga uh, from young. I think I've always been interested. I actually did uh, meditation courses even when I was in college. And I also was very influenced by my uncle, who uh, is actually the father of another guest that you had recently, Jay Kumar Menon. Yeah, so my uncle is actually uh, one of the first people I noticed who practiced yoga, you know, as as we practice it today in the sense, like he used it everywhere, not just on a mat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would see him, you know, when, you know, if there were some kind of difficult situations, I would watch him sitting, you know, on a chair, closing his eyes, breathing deeply. And, you know, I watched all of this growing up. And so that was always an option in my mind to go into these kind of practices. Mm -hmm. So when I used to be, you know, plagued by head, I think we had like a family hereditary kind of thing. My father had migraines and, you know, I had uh, migraines and that these, uh, my father would always say that I had very low tolerance for stress and I would always have these stress headaches. So he said, nothing wrong with me. You have to learn to manage your stress. Something I heard from him, you know, from very young. So then, you know, it was just like yoga was a natural option. And like I said, I've been dabbling with it even from my college days. And then like 20 years ago, I took a deep plunge into it. And like the first practice that I did, the first asana class that I went to at the end of the practice, it was like a light had been switched on. Mm. It was actually an integral yoga class. I think integral yoga is quite uh, popular in America. And they had this Mm. one center in Coimbatore. Because uh, Swami Sachidananda actually came from Coimbatore. And it was in one of those classes that I met also somebody called uh, Mataji, who, I mean, I call her as Mataji, but Swami Divyananda. And she was a really wonderful person. And her whole persona attracted to me, very kind, very patient, very loving. And uh, I think I was led along the path in that way. I met many people who inspired me in such a manner. I came to Malaysia. And I also found my teacher, Manoj Kaimal, who, like, I've done the 500-hour, you know, Manasa Yoga teacher training. And I love that because, you know, even when you say yoga, there are so many different styles of yoga. Right, right, exactly. So this, uh, my teacher, Manoj, he taught in a way that was very mind-oriented, which was exactly what I was looking for. Like, everybody has different needs, right? And I was always looking for a way, you know, like to release stress, to manage my mind. So this uh, kind of uh, style really appealed to me. And I found it beautiful in the way he integrated philosophy into the practice. So usually asana class are very physically oriented. It's only about stretching your hamstrings or strengthening your core. But mm-hmm. uh, he brought in all the beautiful scriptures and philosophies of uh, the yoga, which are the Patanjali Yoga Sutras. Uh, and then he talked about uh, the Bhagavad Gita. So all of the scriptures came into the seemingly physical practice. And that was very beautiful for the mind. Because at the end of the class, you're not just left with your mind relaxed, 
but you also felt that beautiful elevation you know of your uh, mind it was you know the, though there is what do they call somato psyche release that happens right when you work with your body you do find a release in your mind mm-hmm. but besides that because you're listening to the scriptures mm-hmm. right you're also elevated as you leave the practice and you're able to deal with the same situation the same life situation that you left before you entered the class you're able to deal with it in a completely different perspective when you leave the class just because you have your mind is expanded a little bit through the class through the listening of all of these scriptures so i found that very powerful which is why i went on to continue to teach you know to learn and become a teacher in that style and i teach in a similar manner incorporating the philosophy into the practice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so i spent half of my life in ghana yeah. and and i feel like in ghana a friend of mine has a studio she's also been a guest before and there's been in the almost 10 years that i've been there and i've practiced yoga for many 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 years and i came to it as a physical right i was a runner an athlete for a long okay. time so yoga was like oh okay i can i can continue and be better at focused stretching and so i did that for a while and i always felt better you know i've always i think my temperament is fairly calm so i i don't believe that i you know have but there was a time when i was having a lot of stress in my life and i went to bikram yoga so that was you know because it was some more athletic but i got really into and i felt that i started to feel the mental elevation in that as well but it was really the physical release that was happening but that led me and i think that doing that and becoming injured from doing that like so so what happened to me is that i took a i did bikram for like a full year just committed that was the only yoga that i was doing and then a friend invited me to a, a simple vinyasa class and Bikram has the many different stretches that you build up to and so the vinyasa class had a, a camel position a back bend and i have a i'm long my back bends well so i did it in the regular class got home and my back was locked and so that started me on a whole even to this day you know my back is sometimes great and sometimes not so great but i say that because by having that injury it led me into the more i want to say spiritual side of understanding yep. what yoga is but to yep. this day when i take a class there are very few except for when i've gone to india and had you know like real training the real spiritual infusion into the class and so do you think that it is because of religion so to speak that is is the reason why you know you're getting less of the spiritual which is the kind of holisticness of it that's more of what's been spread or is it just kind of just different teachers do different things what what are your thoughts on that well i really believe that like even swami sachidananda used to say that the body is the easiest thing to connect with so asanas are like mm. the calling card yeah mm. so everybody mm. goes because you feel an instant release right, right? when you right. just you know do a class at the end of the class you are going to feel good just by the simple fact that you worked your body right you uh, yeah. released tight muscles and you brought in some flexibility and mobility into your joints and you've strengthened your body so you are going to feel that elevation at the end of the class so the body is the easiest thing to work with right mm-hmm. so the whole mm-hmm. path of yoga they say is from the gross to the subtle yeah so we always start with the gross which is the body right mm-hmm. because it's easy to connect with it's tangible you can touch it you can feel it you can work with it right so that is what it comes easily to everybody and then when we work into subtler aspects of ourselves like say to work on the breath mm-hmm. 
right or to work on the mind all of that requires a deep focus and concentration and commitment which is harder than simply like you can wear your earphones and stretch mm-hmm. your body right but if you need to focus on your breath and count your breath if you need to really be aware of your mind if you need to watch the modulations of your mind all of that requires more intense focus so it's not everybody's cup of tea that's what i would say so just working with your body is something most people enjoy but to go into those higher aspects of the yoga practice which is about consciously working with your breath which is about being more aware of your mind and taking the practice from you know the mat to your everyday life and to be eventually the practice is about really viewing life through that yoga philosophy to bring in all those aspects of you know we talked about uh, the eight limbs of yoga the ashtanga yoga and they have all of these different beautiful principles of you know yamas and niyamas which is like uh, truthfulness honesty so to live life through that lens is actually a much deeper commitment and it may not be for everybody mhm mhm understood understood yeah but the body and the body work is easy and is more connectable and relatable it is most definitely and it's a door opener which is a good thing as well absolutely absolutely yeah so you decided you were interested you studied and found all of these wonderful uh, mentors and teachers and so how, when did it become a business for you when did you decide okay i think this is where my life is calling me and i'm going to open a studio or what have you when did it and how did it become a business for you i just started teaching initially so i got my teacher training certificate i first certified with integral yoga and then when i went back to malaysia they didn't have an integral yoga center in malaysia and then i met my teacher manoj kaimal who taught manas yoga so then i learned with him and i became certified with him so then opportunities came to start teaching so for many years i just taught it as a freelance teacher okay because i had young children as well and i was not interested in the commitment that it required to set up a studio but uh, over a period of time i realized that uh, as a freelance teacher you don't really grow your students mm-hmm. as in you realize that you know people come people go and you don't really see them growing as much but whereas if you had a studio you have the same people coming and you see them develop and deepen their practice over a period of time so at some point when and you know i have these you know i'm shuttling between india my parents were in india and i had to keep making these trips so the the idea of starting a studio was actually quite daunting i was in up to the commitment for many years then about i would say about 10 or 9 years ago when my second son started school and i felt relatively free to make up that you know take up that commitment i actually uh, said the only thing was malaysia is very famous for its uh, long distances and traffic jams so the only thing i said was it has to be like 5 minutes from my house and that's it so yeah over a period of time i set up my studio which was just very close to my house and it fits into my lifestyle and i just you know whoever can make it there you know i teach okay <laughs> now of course it's a little bit online as well you know when uh, the pandemic happened right and uh, i teach in other places as well i have some students in the uk and i actually teach a class in the us as well yeah so the online world has opened up more opportunities to teach but yeah it just i would say this organically grew over a period of time Mhm mhm mhm. In your studio is it just are you the the teacher do you train other teachers how how are you operationalizing No I I just I'm the only teacher there and if my students I have a few students who have actually gone on to want to become teachers but mm-hmm. they train with my teacher who's also currently based in Malaysia Manoj Kaimal so they train with him 
Oh, but, okay. Yeah. Nice. It sounds like a very, very yogi lifestyle. <laughs> I am not sure what a yogi lifestyle is, but yeah, that's my life. <laughs> right. Well, but you, I get a sense of real community because I really like that you said that part of the reason why you wanted to have a studio is that you can grow your students. And so I think that that's a great way to show that you're making impact, you know, like really seeing someone move through practice and and become, I call myself a lifelong student. Absolutely. And so, yeah, I like that concept. Yeah. And it has been very fulfilling as well, because I've Mm -hmm. had a lot of students come in. Like I always feel uh, like, you know, the mind manas itself you know, stands for the mind. Mm-hmm. So the whole uh, focus of the yoga practice uh, is the mind. So I've had, uh, and I also feel like today, not just today, but even before the pandemic hit, like mental health is really a big deal. And after the pandemic, it's become an even bigger deal. And really a pressing need of our time is to learn how to manage our minds. And mm-hmm. before we can even manage it, we have to be aware of it. And we have to shine the light on it. And that comes through through a yoga class. And that is what I'm most fulfilled about is to see my students, you know, come in with a lot of issues like anxiety attacks, panic attacks, right? Uh, And life can deal you, you know, some harsh blows as well, you know, miscarriages. Mm -hmm. But to see how the practice, uh, you know, their commitment to the practice, I would say, has restored them in many ways heal them and help them to carry on with their lives in a much more fulfilled and satisfying manner. So -hmm. that has really been the gift of the, you know, opening the studio and having people with me on a long-term basis. Nice. Nice. And, and probably also feeds into your writing, which um, is your book. Yeah. Before I ask you that, I wanted to, because you mentioned, you know, traffic jams where you are. And so this is where I want to ask you my global speed question. So we want to know, or we want to hear what you hear. So I ask you to share a word, a phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as global speak. Okay, so this is the hard one for me. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, eventually everything I answer will have a philosophical tinge to it. But yeah, so there's a very, you know, the language, local language here is Malay. Yes. And there's a very interesting phrase, which is a phrase which is often used. And it's just like tapa. So it's like, and they have a very sing-song way of using it, right? So I'm not, I don't say that I'm saying it in the best possible manner. But it's like, like, like you know just relax you know just it's okay Ah, everything's okay (laughs) okay okay so I mean for me I mean that's really a very big word you know this okay because to me even the yoga practice eventually is about being okay with whatever comes up shows up in your life Mm -hmm. right it's about acceptance it's about you know even there's a very famous philosopher in India called Jay Krishmurti and he also says ultimately the practice is just being okay with everything. Mm-hmm. So though it has a way, yeah, so it, it's supposed to be a fun question. I know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I like that phrase. Okay. okay. And, just, like- and just saying it kind of just brings down the stress level and just calms you down. Like, it's okay. 
Well, I love that you said that because there are so many different. So when I listen and hear other languages, there are certain words that just sound the way that they sound on your yeah. tongue and in the in the yeah. ether. It's like ah, yeah. you know. So it has to be yeah. yeah. I like that. So so tapala or is it tapa? Yeah, it's okay. Uh, it's t. So it's tapa. T- yeah. So la is just like, you know, your, you know, it just use every word is la. Hi, la. You oh, know. okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But it's tupa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Nice. Nice. And so are you, do you speak Malay? A little bit. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you picked up, you picked up yeah. pieces. I picked up pieces. Yeah. Okay. And how yeah. about your children? Do they speak yeah, they do. They have up to there, learn. Yeah, they have to learn yeah. in school as well. So they learn how to read and write it as well as a language. Mm-hmm. They have to learn it mm-hmm. as a language as well. Yeah, as they're Malaysian okay. citizens, it's compulsory. Right. So they right. Speak. right. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talking about your book and writing in language, tell us what inspired you to sit down and write a book, and just what what has that journey been like, and how how have you been experiencing being a book author? So I think human beings are wired differently and I'm just wired with words in my head. Mm. So I have these, like, if you ask me what is really something I would just like to do is just sit with my laptop and write. Because over these many years of practice, I think I have, you know, learned so much and I have gained so much knowledge and, you know, a lot of it is also there's a term in yoga which says swadhyaya, which is self-study. So not all of it is from other people, but also through my own journey and through the infusion of the yoga into the journey, I've had, you know, so many insights and it has, you know, and a lot of them have helped my life. So I think I was writing even before that. So at some point, the writing and the yoga teaching came together and that became a book. And I've really enjoyed, in fact, I've also written my second book, and that is on meditation and, you know, talking about meditation through the context of the Ashtanga Yoga, the Eight Limbs of Yoga, and I hope to get it published uh, sometime soon. And I already have a third book in my head, which the words are all there, the chapters are all there. So I think writing is just something that comes very naturally to me, and it's Mm -hmm. a beautiful flow, like you just, you know, you go into another dimension of being as you write because it's just words coming through you. And yeah. I absolutely enjoy and cherish and I'm grateful for this uh, gift of being able to write. Yeah. So uh, I think just a deep desire to communicate mm-hmm. everything that I know. And since my, you know, my gift per se is words. So then I think it just translated into that. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. how the writing happened because and also like there's a lot of conceptions, misconceptions, right? Even about yoga, even in India, sometimes it's just asanas are just viewed as an exercise. So all of that, uh, I wanted to be able to address it. So a book gave you an opportunity to express, you know, what you have learned and what has helped you. And it's your unique voice. So since I had very strong, <laughs> I'm very passionate about it. I think it just had to express. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the title Yoga Shakti, um, yeah. explain to us the Shakti, the Shakti part of it. Yeah. So Shakti is power, right? So to me, what yoga is really is an empowerment. Like none of us are, you know, especially I think now maybe it's different, but as we grow up, to me, the most important aspect is our own minds. 
because we live in our minds right the mind in itself in vedanta there's a phrase that says the mind in itself can make a hell out of heaven or a heaven out of hell so our life is really dependent on the state of our minds right our minds are depressed how are you i'm depressed if our minds are anxious how are you i'm anxious right and then over a period of time we build our identity over that somebody asks you you know let me tell me something about yourself you say oh i have depression or somebody asks you tell me something about yourself you say i have anxiety right over a period of time that becomes our identity so mm-hmm. the need to manage our minds is a key aspect which i feel has been very overlooked mm-hmm. and to me this is something that should be taught right in school like we learn subjects like math and science exactly. i believe more important than that is the is the knowledge of our own selves to know mm-hmm. that how our mind body breath energy all of that is connected mm-hmm. how if you can learn to work one you can actually positively influence all of it and how you know the mind being involved is the key to all of this consciousness awareness these are what the yoga practice teach you to be able mm-hmm. to observe where is your mind what is your mind thinking about what is your mind obsessing about right mm-hmm. learning to channel your mind can you direct your mind right to your feet become aware of your feet direct your mind to your sit bone right what is the emotional state of your mind and then what is the energy that your mind holds these are all the questions that the yoga practice brings up and as we learn all of this we're actually connecting deeper to ourselves Mm-hmm. and then we you know those insights that we gain help us to manage our minds so we know that every time a certain person you know or we meet a certain person right our whole stress level goes up and you know we're starting to get anxiety attacks right if we can notice that and observe that right objectively observing is the key right awareness so if we can just observe it without judging ourselves then you know we have the capacity to take different decisions but most of the time we are only flowing with life mhm so that's what yoga gives you that awareness to just see things and then you make decisions whether this is helping you or this is not helping you whether this is you know healthy or this is not healthy right so that for me is really what i try to share through my books and everything to shine the light on the mind and to learn how to manage the mind and now this is all science today the knowledge of the breath so they know that the breath and the mind and the body are all connected so if you learn to breathe deeply you learn different techniques of breathing which is what pranayama gives you you learn to manage your anxiety you learn to manage your panic you learn to lift yourself right lot of people when we say mental health it's not just schizophrenia or some disorder like that it is just being able to wake up feeling good right it is able to have some enthusiasm it is being able to smile it is being able to laugh which all of this some days we just can't because the mind is not in a good place and the mind is in a very dark place and then situations happen right life deals very severe blows right i always say relationships are a huge you know area where people's minds can get really disturbed so we have to learn how to lift it so if we understand that through the body through consciously working with the body in asana practice by consciously managing you know working with our breath in pranayama practice we have the capacity to shift our minds into a better place and that for me is what i try to communicate through my books through my teaching because mm-hmm. in my own life that has been my struggle with my own mind as well sure. so this has been like a magic pill <laughs> it's like oh right. that that's really great at the end of the yoga class by stretching your body you know you can feel so good 
And, you know, by working with your breath, you can really shift your mind into a completely different dimension. Sure. By chant, right? So there are so many different tools of the yoga practice. Besides asana, pranayama, there's also chanting, which is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And like we were talking earlier, right? Like words. So instead of just saying sa, if you can say sa, that itself is Mm -hmm. so calming. Right. So chanting brings us that. (laughs) So I think kind of what you're what you're getting at in a little bit of ways is just ways. So particularly with the words is this vibration. Right. So when you say certain words or say certain things like you're vibrating that. and, And I think where we are not aware or many people are not aware unless they've kind of journeyed or, you know, maybe had some intuition around it is this understanding that the more aware you are, the more the general power, like you said, like you said, like you, you just, you just have that, you're that much more empowered to be able to put yourself in the positions and in the, the, the moods and in the places that uplift your spirit or just make your, your life that much easier. But the question I have though, is everyone wants to feel better. Well, maybe not everyone, but most people want to feel better. What are some of your ideas or tips or techniques that you use to help people to be more disciplined about it? Because I, I find that what the challenge is, is that people want to, but they can't seem to break into the discipline side of committing to something. Yeah, I think the key is to fall in love. Mm. Mm-hmm. 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 So I started my yoga practice like some 22 years ago, 23 almost. But what has kept me going day after day is that I love the feeling that it, it you know, it leaves me. I love the person that it makes me as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So when mm-hmm. my students are doing their class, I tell them, you know, feel it. It's not just doing something mechanically, but feel the like even relaxation. You can actually feel after you've stretched and then you lie down, you feel your muscles relax. You feel the mind release and you fall in love with those sensations. And then you become a better person. You always leave the class feeling more grounded, more centered. And then that's how you want to be. So this gives you the tools to be the person that you want to be. More grounded, more centered, calmer, right? The ability to just not be so reactive, the ability to be a bit more flexible. So I would say flexibility is not just about the body, right? Eventually, all of this translates into the mind. So when you Mm -hmm. fall in love Mm -hmm. with the practice and how it makes you feel and how it makes you become, right, then I always say, then you don't need to be reminded. It's true. Because you, yeah, yeah, so Mm -hmm. it's, the key is interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people, it's like, you know, if you force something, it's never going to stick. But I always say, like, it's very easy to translate into relationships, right? Human relationships. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I always say, it's like, say, imagine that you're at a party and then you meet someone that, you know, you're completely bored with, right? Your eyes are wandering everywhere. You can't wait for that conversation to end. And you, you know, you have to be kind of forced to kind of meet that person again. But suppose you meet someone who's captivating, right, who has maybe well-traveled, maybe has similar interests, speaks the same language. You don't want that conversation to end. And you can't take your eyes off that person, right? And you can't wait to meet again. So the same thing, you're building Mm -hmm. a relationship with your own self, your own body, your own breath, your own mind. So when you fall in love with those states, like I love that feeling of 
being centered and grounded, right? And I know that a few minutes of asana practice, some breathing practice can get me there. A little bit of chanting. So I want that. That's how I, I can't imagine not, not having that or living life. You know, in, I, I know how it is to be ungrounded and I know how it is to not have these practices. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't need to be forced to do it. I just want, want that. Right. So I always say right. love, right. love right. is the yeah. answer to everything. Fall in love. Love is the answer. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. It's very simple. <laughs> because it breeds interest. It like breeds that. curiosity. Right. Then you're interested. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know that my breath and my mind is connected. How does that work? Sure. Right. So stay interested. Stay curious. Right. And I say. Right. Right. And yes. you continue, and you to, continue to learn mm -hmm. things about mm -hmm. yourself. I always say we are like scientists. Right. And what we are researching mm -hmm. is our own self, our own body, our own breath, our own mind and whatever else. So when you talk about the self in Vedanta, there's, you know, Satchit, Ananda, all of that. But before that, it is from the known that you, you bridge the gap. So first we have to know what it is that we have and what we have is the body, the breath and the mind. And so we bring our attention to that, work with that understand that, fall in love with that, and then it'll take us to other dimensions that at this point, maybe we're not so connected with. Speaking of connections, you have your studio, then you've written a book and multiple books and writing. How did you become a television host? How did that happen? And what is your process for producing that show? I just had the opportunity. So I had friends in, like I said, I had started teaching online classes in, in the UK. And uh, I had friends okay. there who knew of uh, this channel who were looking to have, because yoga became really popular during the COVID times, right? There was a lot of talk yes, about yes. Uh, the pranayama practices, asana practices. So people, I think, also had the time because they were at home. And so they wanted mm -hmm. to introduce a yoga channel. And, you know, they just, uh, so like I had these friends in the UK who knew this person and they recommended me and, yeah, so that happened. And before that, I already have a YouTube channel. Oh, okay. So I was already making these uh, videos for YouTube. And uh, I also, you know, talk to, I have a podcast as well, where I talk to, uh, you know, yoga teachers and uh, people introduced, basically Indian science, mm -hmm. like Ayurveda, Vedanta, all of that. Sure. Yeah, that was something that was really interesting. It just, and to me, they're just different mediums to communicate my passion. Yes. So whether it is speaking right. or whether it right. is the book or whether it is a, a television show, it gave me the chance to showcase the style of yoga that I teach, which is bringing the mind and philosophy into the class. So that was just another great, so uh -huh. I just try to take every opportunity that comes. That's it. Okay. Everything just flows yeah. with you. I'm just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and probably, Part of it is just that knowing and grounding and in, in, in being with yourself. So I like that. So that brings me to a good question. This is a good point to ask you about mindset hacks. And so this is where I ask, what is your favorite or few innovative mindset hacks, ones that you know or ones that you can imagine? Yeah. So uh, we spoke about this earlier, which is why I'm starting, about, uh, starting with it, which is the mantra. Mm. Right? So mantras are actually beautiful vibrations. But every word, basically to understand that every word has carries a vibration. And you just tell somebody, Shab, mm -hmm. right? That has a certain vibration. Mm -hmm. But then you tell someone, right? I love mm -hmm. you, right? And that has another vibration to it. So to understand that mantras are just words that carry a vibration, right? So uh, when we, uh, and also if we understand the meaning, 
then it becomes hugely empowering. So for me, all of these practices are to empower ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, there's a beautiful mantra called Ahamsa. So um, it can also be mm -hmm. chanted as Soham. But I like the Ahamsa because Aham stands for I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Sa stands for that. So to me, this is such an empowering phrase because a lot of the times we feel lonely, we feel uh, weak because we feel we are limited, right? We only think of ourselves as the body and the race and the religion and we limit ourselves to that. But when we repeat this mantra, Ahamsa, we find that we remind ourselves of our connection to the universe, that we are part of that. And that stands for that universal consciousness. So each time we mindfully repeat that phrase, we are reminding ourselves that we are not these limited beings that we kind of uh, limit, you know, think we are. And we are so much more than that. We are the part of the universe. And there is a beautiful visualization as well that I teach with that, where the wave and the ocean. Yeah. So when you say, aham, I am, it is like that wave rising from the ocean. Yeah, that is each one of us as we are born. And then as you, you know, as not just as you exhale, but even as we end our journey in this lifetime, we merge back with that universal consciousness, right? Like how the wave merges back with the ocean. Mm -hmm. And that is really beautiful because through that example of the wave in the ocean, we understand that the waveness of the wave or the waters of the wave is not different from the waters of the ocean, and that we are so much more than we even know or we believe ourselves to be. So it gives us that capacity to believe in the magic, mm -hmm. in be to believe in all possibilities. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes we get drained, right? Like I said, life can deal us, you know, heavy blows. And we need to pick ourselves up. And this is really like neuroplasticity. It's like rewiring our brain by consciously putting in all of this positive stuff. So mantras are, a, to me, a beautiful way, especially this particular one of ahamsa and visualizing the wave in the ocean, because that way we understand, right? It's so easy to understand that the nature of the wave or, and the elements of the wave are not different from that of the ocean. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in that way, we understand that we are also part of that unite, you know, that universal consciousness and we're not different from that. Then I have some other hacks as in, in yoga class, right? I'm just telling because I, it's just easy for me to relate with class because I'm, you know, I'm always teaching, mm -hmm. right? So the tendency is always, like, especially if there are many students in class, the tendency is always to look at other people and see what other people can do and then feel terrible that you can't do it, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So my constant refrain in class, which again, I imbibe this from my teacher as well, Munuj Kaimal, is focus on what you can do, mm -hmm. right? A lot of the times we have these, and this can translate into life as well, right? We have these big dreams. We see people who are big achievers and then, you know, maybe we're not there yet and then we get very disheartened. But if we just, the, the work is to just consciously every day focus on what we can do and do that well. And then from what I have seen in my life, though it may have taken some time, it's just that one thing flows into the other. Mm -hmm. But for that flow to happen, you have to do whatever is your task today. You have to do that well, because that is what you are called upon today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So the whole constant refrain in my yoga class as well is focus on what you can do. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because if we focus on what we can't, we give up. Exactly. It's the same. It's the same as I'm depressed or I'm, you know, sad today, you know, but you can yeah. be something else. Yeah. So, yeah. So to shift like your focus. Okay. And then everybody yes. keeps talking. So when we said shift our focus, that just led me to another really, to me, I feel this is a very important one because it's constantly on Facebook, let go, right? Just let it go, right? Mm. But how mm-hmm. do you let mm-hmm. it go? Nobody tells you that. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the more there is something that is stressful in your life that you need to let go and the more you're going to be obsessively compulsively thinking about it right when we it's have true. a particular stress mm-hmm. in our life whether it is a job stress whether it is a relationship stress that consumes our mind right like a broken tape recorder we're mm-hmm. just listening to that you know to those thoughts in our head or the voices in our head continuously because that takes over so how do we let it go? And then you have these well-meaning people and friends telling you, just let it go. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what I have learned through the yoga practice is that it teaches you to work with your attention. Mm-hmm. So the magic or the secret to letting go is to consciously shift your focus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this begins right in the beginning of yoga class. So when my students come into class and close their eyes, the first thing that they are asked to do is to be conscious of the mind. So you learn to separate your mind from you. Usually we are just flowing with the mind. We are the mind. But Mm -hmm. when you can objectively Mm -hmm. look at your mind in that non-judgmental manner and learn to direct it, right, then you gain some semblance, control is a strong word, but you at least learn to work with your mind. I look at it as this constant working relationship that you're trying to establish with the mind. Right, right. So you get your mind, focus on your right big toe, focus on your sit bone, focus on your spine, right? All of that gives the control back to us. Otherwise, we are always, I say, slaves of the mind, right? Because the mind just jerks us around. It gets happy, it gets sad, it gets depressed, it gets panicked, and we're just flowing along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Right? So in um, in the Indian scriptures, they talk about the inner components of the mind, where you have the mind, which is the manas, and there is also the higher mind, which is considered the buddhi or the intellect. Yeah? So that is the path that we are trying to strengthen through the yoga practice. And to explain this, I give the very easy example of sugar, right? You see sugar, you like sugar, mind wants to eat sugar. Mm -hmm. But then there is this voice in your head, the intellect that tells you, okay, that's not so great for you. That's going to increase your inflammation. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Not to mention, yeah, so we can see this in our minds. There are these, these, there is the mind and there is the intellect. Yeah. So the whole practice of yoga is to align with the intellect. And when the intellect gets strong enough through these practices that we do every day, move the mind to the, the, the right big toe, move, move the mind to your sit bones, move the mind to your spine, move the mind to your right shoulder, to your left shoulder, right? When that practice gets strong enough, then when everyday life hits us and you find the mind you know, going into a spin, we have the capacity to direct the mind, to focus on something else, mm-hmm. to choose another point of focus. Because we have honed the skill in our yoga class, right? Because that's what the yoga class is all about. Focus on your body, focus on your breath, 
right? And we bring that same skill into life. Mm-hmm. Right. Makes sense. As you were saying that, I was just thinking as a visualiz- visualizations, because the ocean visualization was very effective. I think that works really well. But I just thought, and you said higher mind and that kind of thing, but I just thought, I think just projecting yourself outside of yourself at times and looking back at who you are, like really literally like looking down on yourself or whatever the situation is. I think that's probably also an effective way of, okay, taking yourself outside of wherever you are to to then be. The thing is to not get consumed, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? When we have stress, we get consumed. That's all we think about. We go to bed thinking about it. We wake up thinking about it. Right. So when we can take ourselves out of the situation, right, which is what, you know, you were describing, Mm -hmm. right, when we can just look at ourselves with an objective manner that already puts some distance, right, and distance is the key. When we have some distance, we can be objective. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Wow. So this has been so insightful. I really, I could talk to you for uh, forever <laughs> just because there's so many nuggets of wisdom. I, you know, cause I just, I love all of this, but I think our, our listeners can definitely get more of this in your current book, yeah. right? As well as your forthcoming yeah. offerings. But so let's take a little pivot because we also want to know who you are when you're not being a yoga teacher or a TV host or a writer, who, what, what kind of things do you read and watch and listen to in your, in your own doubt? My mind is totally oriented towards all of this. So um, the mind, okay. the mind and it. the brain fascinate me. Uh-huh. So uh, I'm always uh, like, I like Deepak Chopra and uh, I like his books because he also blends in spirituality with science. Yes. And he has uh, many interesting books like I have uh, learned from, which is like, you know, the he has these super genes, super brain, right? All mm-hmm. of that, which helps, you mm-hmm. know, I, I love this whole concept of neuroplasticity because yoga in one way is really about neuroplasticity, about putting in, right, uh, positive thoughts and not being uh, totally enslaved by the mind. Yeah. So I love uh, Deepak Chopra's books. He's one author that I read and uh, follow. And I also like, I'm very interested in health and nutrition. So um, I like uh, Dr. Mm -hmm. Mark Hyman. I follow him as well. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I, like I said, I'm fascinated by the brain. So there's also Dr. Daniel Amen, who I follow. I think he has the Amen clinics there. So I, you know, I get, Mm -hmm. I get a lot of nuggets of, it's very interesting to me also where, you know, science is some, somehow I feel they're all speaking the same language, Yes. but just in different, in different ways. So for me, it's always very interesting to see how they blend in together. And I think Dr. Mark Hyman himself has got a yoga background. And uh, Dr. Amen also mm-hmm. talks very interestingly, like what I was telling you about the mind. He also talks a lot like that. And he was uh, talking about how you can actually give your mind another name and so that you can separate. Like that was one of his hacks so that you can. Yeah. Right. <laughs> which I thought was. Yeah. So you could make make the distinction. Yeah. yeah. So which I thought was very interesting. Right. Yeah. Because this is what Vedanta is telling you as well. You are not the body. You are not the mind. So it's very interesting yeah. for me to see how yeah. uh, science and, uh, you know, philosophy is all blending and actually speaking the same thing. But just they just have different languages. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So I like Dr. Daniel Amen. And uh, I also uh, like Dr. Uh, Michael Beckwith, I think. I uh, listen to a lot of his podcasts okay. as well. Yeah, and okay. Dr. Joe Dispenza, Abraham Hicks, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's very interesting that ultimately they're all also working with the mind. Yes, 
it's all about the mind right i mean uh, br- bring your mind right. to the present right work with what you have in the present right uh, lift your mind in the current moment it's all the mind and that's what the yoga practice is about it's the control yeah. center um from yeah. from a, but from an energetic perspective so I, that's what i kind of appreciate about yeah. the science it takes you into the science of what that energy yeah. is that is able to to move and yeah. maneuver and yeah. spark. And then also they talk yeah. about the hormones yeah. and all of that, right? About how, uh, you know, feel-good hormones are released, how the mind and body is connected. That mm-hmm. is so fascinating, right? We don't mm-hmm. realize it, but every single thought in our head releases a corresponding hormone. So if we are constantly having stressful thoughts, mm-hmm. then that's all going to reflect in the body. And today, I think even science agrees that uh, some more than 90% of that figure can vary, but uh, majority of all illnesses have their roots in stress so i think it is so imperative mm-hmm. that uh, we and where is stress stress is all in the mind right so it comes back it mm-hmm. comes back to learning to manage mind mm-hmm. 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 and establishing a good working relationship with it yes yes i think you said something that's key that this kind of understanding of the self is core to existence and we're finding that we're teaching English, math, science, those types of things, but where we are missing a big piece by not by not adding Absolutely. this to curriculums. Do you do you see yourself being an advocate and if or how how would you see this becoming something that's more core to global curriculums? Because we're what I'm finding, particularly in trying to create content for children and families, is that I think the idea of what's just given is what so many of the masses take. And so in order to be able to make an impact, you almost have to kind of be doing some grassroots to get the parents to demand it. Because I think that's part of part of the challenge of changing the system is that there's so many that don't demand anything different. We get the status quo. Well, it's a very interesting thing that uh, I have a class for children as well in my studio. Mm -hmm. And most of the children, all their parents come to yoga class. Mm -hmm. So I feel once parents get the benefit Once you feel the benefit, Mm -hmm. like to me, I feel like the biggest gift that I have given my children is really an awareness of all of this and an expanded mind to view life. Yeah, it's just a lens through which you view life. Mm -hmm. To me, really, once the parent experiences it, then they want their child to experience it. So um, as more people find the benefit of the yoga practice, and I think conversations like this and I do believe they should be more mainstream. Like even in India, when I grew up, there were absolutely no conversations like this. Right. And in fact, I myself started doing yoga, you know, in a very serious manner only after I left India. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and even though I think in many ways, America has, uh, you know, upped it a bit because uh, my niece was learning yoga in her kindergarten some 10, 15 years ago, where it was still not taught in Mm -hmm. India. You know, maybe now India has changed. Mm -hmm. But when I was growing up, there was absolutely no exposure to yoga in school. Right. So um, I believe this has to start young and And for parents' minds to change, more awareness of this has to come in. And more such conversations are needed. This has to become like mainstream topic, right? Uh, But I think because of the explosion online, people who are interested, you know, have access if they want to. Yeah, they can find. find. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So where can we find you? Where, where, where can we find your books? Where can we find your online courses? Tell us more. So uh, my books are available, I think, on Amazon. 
and um, yep. yeah mm-hmm. so i have a youtube channel i'm also on facebook i also have an instagram <laughs> So I'm quite uh, okay. We'll we'll put all of that on yeah, the side. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm quite uh, available on social media and uh, my online classes as well. Uh, I have a Gmail. If anybody can email me, then you know I can share the details of the classes. So yep. Wonderful, wonderful. I love how you're so easy. It's like very just holistic because you're it is your passion. So it just comes through like you can find me these places. I'm happy to be available to everyone. So we really appreciate that. And we will be sending um, having links to your book on Amazon and as well as your website and all those things. And we'll have good show notes as well, because a lot of the the different teachers and practices that Shailaja mentioned, I will have those in the show notes and all of the books and things like that as usual. So before we go for today, do you have any last words for our listeners? In my own journey, what I have found is that one of the most important words is faith. Yeah, so in yoga, there is the term Shraddha, right? Because without Shraddha or faith, that's when it's like that, you know, we're walking this fine line, you know, like on a cliff, cliff's edge. And without faith, Mm -hmm. we just fall into hopelessness, helplessness, you know, having no optimism and, uh, you know, really being disheartened and depressed about the future. But as long as we have faith, we have the capacity to, you know, move forward, just take another step, even if it's a really small step, or even just stay where we are and breathe. So um, this is something that I share, like, you know, even with my son and uh, just talk, just think about, I contemplate a lot on this word faith, you know, to keep the faith in life, in the universe, you know, to believe that we live in a responsive universe and to believe that we are not here mm. to just suffer and, you know, good things can come and, you know, to keep uh, working on ourselves, keep our minds in a good place. The work mm-hmm. is to, you know, it's all within. It's just to keep our minds in a good place and to keep the faith, to contemplate yes. on faith and to keep mm-hmm. having faith. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's a very nice way to end the conversation. We'll leave it there. I feel, so, I feel very zen <laughs> today. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been, it's been a long day, Yeah, thank you so much for joining us as well. So this has been another episode of Local Citizens, folks. You can catch us each and every Tuesday with new episodes, www.glocalcitizenspod.com and wherever you get your podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes once again. They will be very rich. And um, I guess that's all for, for this week. This is my last interview from Brooklyn. I leave very soon, so I'll be in sunny climates. I'm just looking forward to that. And uh, we'll catch you on the other side, listeners. Bye for now.